please turn in your copy of God's Word to the first book of the Bible, to Genesis 3, and we will be looking only at one verse uh, this morning, Genesis 3.15. We continue our special sermon series, our Advent sermon series, where we are looking at Christmas according to the Old Testament, and this morning we come to just one verse, uh, but a very important verse as we will come to see. Genesis 3.15. So with that, please give attention now to the reading of God's holy and inspired word. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, here we see the what theologians have called for so long the proto-euangelion, the first utterance of the gospel from your very lips. And how interesting it is, O Lord, that the first utterance of the gospel is uttered toward the serpent, towards your enemy, for the one that must be destroyed so that we might live for you and live as, as righteous children, not in, accord, not in accordance with our own righteousness and works but in accordance with the one who has come down and crushed the head of the serpent for us. Father, we pray even here, though Christ is is clouded, though he is shrouded in shadows and in types, might you fill our hearts with the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, even here in these first words of the gospel, here in Genesis 3. Write your truth upon our hearts Help us to glorify and magnify our Lord and our Savior, the seed of the woman that has come and has crushed the serpent's head. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The great reformer Martin Luther said of Genesis 3.15, this text embraces and contains within itself everything noble and glorious that is to be found anywhere else. In all of Scripture. Alec Modier says the whole of Scripture is not packed into every Scripture, but we may allowably expect every Scripture to prepare and make room for the whole. This is what happens in Genesis 3.15. That is, in fact, what Genesis 3.15 is. It serves as really a blueprint for all of Scripture. Just as an architect lays out blueprint for the construction workers as they are constructing the building and then constructs that building based on that blueprint, the construction of Scripture as all the pieces are being put together in each stage of redemptive history, the construction and the story unfolds as an unfolding according to the blueprint of Genesis 3.15. God's dealings with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is an unfolding of Genesis 3.15. God's grace to Moses and the giving of the law through Moses is the unfolding of Genesis 3.15. God's promise to David that his son would would sit on the throne and, and have an everlasting kingdom is the unfolding of Genesis 3.15. God's promise in Jeremiah 31, where he gives those new covenant promises that he will write his truth and his law upon the hearts of his people, 
is the unfolding of Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is really very much like a flower, and it is gradually opening up as God is pushing redemptive history closer and closer to its climax, as he is revealing more and more of himself that that flower is opening up until it reaches full bloom in the person of Jesus Christ. This is why Genesis 3.15 has often been called the proto-euangelion, euangelion being the Greek word for gospel and proto being the Greek word for first. This is the first gospel. It is the original proclamation from the very lips of God the Father about the good news that will find its fulfillment, its culmination in his son, the one born of a woman. It is what we could also perhaps call the proto-Christmas. It is the first prophecy of Christmas. Because as we see here, the crushing of the head of the serpent will come from the seed of the woman. With the birth of baby Jesus, the seed and offspring of Mary, the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15 has dawned. The serpent's head is ready to be crushed. And what we see from the seed of the woman here in Genesis 3.15 is that the seed of the woman comes and goes to war. The seed of the woman is wounded, and the seed of the woman wins. War, wounded, wins. First, we see the seed of the woman is at war. The word that takes primary emphasis in the Hebrew construction of this sentence is the word enmity. Oftentimes in Hebrew, in, he, in Hebrew, in order to highlight a particular word or thought, they'll shove that word at the very beginning of the sentence. And the word that is at the very beginning here is the word enmity. Quite literally, it says, enmity I will put. This is a word of warfare. It is a word of battle. There will be enmity. There will be war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And notice who it is that creates this war. It is God. He says, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. In other words, this is not natural warfare. This is not warfare we as sinners will naturally engage in, battling Satan. Due to sin and our sin nature, we are not at enmity with evil. We are friends with it. Just think of what happened with Adam and Eve just a few verses earlier. What happens when they fall into sin? They shake hands with the serpent. They play, let's make a deal. I'll eat of your fruit and I'll become just like God. They become friends with the serpent, and they become enemies of God. Just think of the words of Paul in Romans 5. You were once enemies of God. This is God's response to the fall. This is God's response to sin. He will put his spirit within his children of promise, as Paul calls us in Galatians 3, and he will by his regenerative spirit put enmity between those that call God Father in heaven and those who are of their father, the devil, as Jesus will say to the Pharisees in John chapter 8. 
Left to ourselves, we shake hands with the serpent. We become his friend. We hide from God. We blame God for giving us Eve, and we blame God for all the ills of this world and for all the problems we have in this life. We become enemies with God. But God, by his sheer grace, renews our nature by his spirit and puts enmity between us and evil. And this is God's plan at the very beginning of a fallen world. This is God's covenant grace that is at work throughout redemptive history as he, by his redemptive grace, chooses a people for himself to do warfare with Satan and his spiritual descendants. And it is this warfare that we see at the very outset of the book of Genesis. Genesis 4, you have Cain who kills his brother Abel. In 1 John 3, John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. With Cain and Abel right off the heels of Genesis 3.15, We see the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman at war. After Cain's slaying of Abel, you get a genealogy of Cain. And how does that genealogy end? It ends with Lamech. And what is Lamech doing? He is glorying in. He is singing a song, praising himself for murdering a man. Now imagine if you're reading this for the first time and there's that pause right after the end of the genealogy of Cain and you're saying to yourself, I thought it was the seed of the woman that was to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. It appears here that the seed of the serpent is crushing the spiritual seed of God's people. But immediately after Lamech's song at the end of chapter 4, You have Adam producing a new offspring, replacing Abel in the person of Seth. And we are told, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And then at the beginning of chapter 5, what do you have? You have a genealogy of Seth, the seed of the woman, which ends with Noah, who will be the one righteous man that God will find and save him and his family from the flood and disaster he brings on a fallen world. And from Noah's line, from Noah's loins will come seed of woman, seed of serpent, and this will carry out throughout redemptive history. And so the spiritual warfare begins at the very outset of redemptive history and runs throughout the Old Testament as the children of promise do war with the children of the serpent. And it reaches its climax. It reaches its fulfillment, its culmination in the person of Jesus Christ. In Luke, uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 3, you get Christ's genealogy. And unlike Matthew's genealogy, which links Christ all the way back to Abraham, Luke actually links Christ all the way back to Adam. And then right after that genealogy is done, at the beginning in chapter 4, you have Luke telling us of Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. 
to be tempted by Satan, to do warfare with Satan. Up to the point of Christ, God's children do warfare with Satan's spiritual offspring. But with Christ, he does battle with Satan himself. The captain, the head, the general of evil, Christ stares in the face and he goes to war with him. The seed of the woman goes to war. Secondly, we see the seed of the woman is wounded. The seed of the woman is wounded. God tells the serpent that he will bruise the seed of the woman's heel. The first thing we should see here is that this bruising of the heel is not a crushing, victorious blow. This is made all the more clear by the contrast that is made between the serpent's bruising of the heel and the seed of the woman bruising, or as some translations say, crushing the head of the serpent. The serpent will bruise, but it will not be a fatal bruise, a victorious crushing bruise. It will simply be on the heel. Think again of Cain's killing of Abel. Satan thinks he has won. Cain thinks he has crushed Abel. But what do we get in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4? What does the writer tell us there? Through Abel's faith, though he died, he still speaks. Just think of the way Scripture speaks time and time again, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, of saints who die. They are merely sleeping. For those who are God's children, though Satan thinks he has delivered the crushing blow in death, all he has done is heal, is bruised the heel. But secondly, this bruising is to be understood as a blood sacrifice, as a blood sacrifice. In just a few verses, in verse 21, we will be told that God makes for Adam and Eve garments of skin to clothe them with, animals being slaughtered, blood being shed, and clothing sinful Adam and Eve. Genesis 4, we're told Abel brings the firstborn of his flock, sacrificing the firstborn born of his flock and giving it over to God. And God took regard for Abel's offering and not for Cain's. Why? Because there was shedding of blood. Because Abel understood his problem and he understood he needed a blood sacrifice to please his God. So surrounding this proto-euangelion, surrounding this first gospel is the idea of blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifice that pleases and appeases God, that clothes his people and covers over their sin like a garment. The word atonement literally means to cover over. With the very first sin, you have Adam and Eve having their sins covered by a garment of bloody animals. And this first gospel finds its fulfillment not in the sacrifice of bulls and goats, not in the firstborn of the flock, 
but in the sacrifice of a man, of one who is like us. Notice God says the seed of the woman will be bruised. Not the seed of the goat, not the seed of the ram, not the seed of the lamb, the seed of a woman will be bruised from the very beginning. It is not the sacrifice of mere animals that can bring full atonement, but it is the sacrifice of the seed of the offspring of the woman. Here at the outset of redemptive history, God tells us that the substitutionary sacrifice that will make full atonement for sin must be like us. He must be born of a woman. What we celebrate on Christmas, brothers and sisters, is Genesis 3.15's fulfillment as Christ is born of the virgin Mary. He is the seed of the woman that has come in order to shed sacrificial, appeasing, God-appeasing blood for us to be bruised and wounded for our transgressions and become the perfect human substitute as he lays down his life at the altar in Calvary. The seed of the woman is wounded. But third and finally, the seed of the woman wins. The seed of the woman wins. While the seed of the woman's heel is bruised, the serpent's head is bruised, or as I already said, some translations say crushed. The serpent gives a a blow that will merely wound, but it's the seed of the woman that will give the death blow. He will give the head shot that will crush. Notice that it is the serpent who will be crushed. Earlier in this verse, God says the woman's seed and the serpent's seed will be at war. But here you have the serpent himself being crushed. It is the head of the head, the king of the army of evil, evil, that is crushed. In ancient times, in order to symbolize full victory and subjugation of the enemy that you were at war with, The victor would place their foot oftentimes on the neck of the defeated king in order to symbolize utter defeat and triumph over that king and over that nation because the neck was the place that you would place the sword in order to lop off the head. Genesis Joshua 10. Joshua instructs the soldiers to place their foot upon the five defeated Amorite kings as a symbol of utter triumph, complete victory. The seed of the woman will bring complete and final triumph over the serpent. The image here also is that the head blow will take place simultaneously with the bruising of the heel as the snake slithers beneath the man to bite at the heel, it places himself right under the man so that the man can take his foot and stomp on the head of the serpent. 
at the cross, Satan thinks he has won, but all he has done is put himself beneath the foot of Christ, who as he is being bruised is delivering the death blow to Satan. Listen to these words from Hebrews 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. On Christmas, brothers and sisters, we celebrate the coming of the seed of the woman who brings death to death through death by crushing the head of the head so that in, that in Christ death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? On Christmas, we celebrate the proto-euangelion. We celebrate the fulfillment of the first and only gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. O Lord, the seed of the woman has come, and he has crushed the head of the serpent, so that in him we are victorious over evil, over sin, and over death. O Lord, how we praise you and thank you for this good news. And this Christmas season, might our hearts and our minds be focused on the fact that the seed of the woman has come and he has given that decisive headshot to the serpent at the cross. Help us write your truth upon our hearts and your spirit within that we might think on these wondrous and glorious things. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.